This is Denise Bookwalter from Small Craft Advisory Press, and you're listening to Paper Cuts. So, Denise, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about SCAP and the work that you're doing here. Uh, just to set the scene, we're sitting in your studio at SCAP, which is at FAR, at FSU. So, so uh, what, what do all these letters stand for? That's a good question. Here at FSU, Florida State University, we love our acronyms. Um, and FAR stands for the Facility for Arts Research. And SCAP stands for Small Craft Advisory Press. And how long has the Small Craft Advisory Press existed in this building at FAR? We've been in this building at FAR since 2010. We, we were around a couple, a couple years before that. We began in 2008, and we were in a different space until 2010. Yeah. And SCAP is largely concerned with producing editions of artist books. Um, did you bring SCAP with you whenever you got on to the faculty here at FSU, or was this a project that was born in Tallahassee? So this project was born in Tallahassee. I joined the faculty at FSU in um, 2007. And I was really interested in starting some kind of press, mostly because I wanted a place to work. And um, the university is really supportive in supporting new faculty research. And um, I was very interested in working collaboratively. So I wrote a grant that they, to my surprise, funded for a letterpress, an etching press, and a plate maker. And that was the summer, they funded that in the summer of 2008. And we began inviting artists to campus. The, our first artist came in the winter of 2009. So how much time do the artists you're collaborating with typically spend with you here at SCAP before you're really creating iterations and taking the project more directly from from their hands and more into your hands and your interns' hands? So there's a couple of different ways that we collaborate. The way we've collaborated mostly over the past 10 years is that we have invited artists to come and work with us for anywhere from three or four days to a week. One, uh, we had one pair that stayed uh, for closer to three weeks, but in general, they're here for about a week. And that's just on site. But before they come, we work a lot on Skype with our team, and we work a lot after they leave using Skype and internet communication. Um, and then the completion of that project, or at least from beginning to end, usually lasts for two to three years. Um, one of our newer projects, Oyster Boat, that we have just finished the first um, volume this year, we ask artists to send us a fragment of their practice. And then we take that fragment and work with it here at SCAP with a small collaborative team. That artist generally never come, if they're not from the region, they may never actually set foot in SCAP. Um, so it allows us to work on a completely different kind of time scale, different kind of collaboration. And we think of that as a collaboration that would happen in two to three months time rather than two to three years. Um, we're really interested in the different ways we can collaborate with artists and writers and scholars. Yeah, I, I love those two timelines to be working on. Like one, this like longer engagement with artists you're inviting in, and 
the Oyster Boat project, we were collecting scraps from people um, and building something new from that with the students is such a wonderful way to encourage uh, new collaborative works or new modes of collaboration and ways to develop new book pieces out of this like refuse material. Um, which then leads into a question of like how SCAP really interacts with the classes you teach here at FSU, as it seems like Oyster Boat is where the students can really uh, interact with the work that you're producing. Whereas with the longer term engagement projects with SCAP, it's you and a, and a couple interns, right? And generally, yeah, the comparison, the way those things work, the longer term projects, the students may not be around for an entire project. So it's difficult to have a student necessarily be involved at, on that collaborative team in a conceptual kind of way if they're going to move on before the project is finished. Yeah, exactly. Um, or even just communicating with them before they leave or um, things like that. And so what they end up doing is working more as interns, participating as assistants on projects. Um, and then my classes visit SCAP to see those projects. Just an ex these, those projects become examples of what's possible these, in the professional world. Um, but Oyster Boat allows us to compose a team of anyone. They could be, sometimes they are students, sometimes they're staff, sometimes they're faculty, sometimes um, there's any combination of those. Um, so it allows us to have them see something from beginning to end within a semester. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing was with SCAP, and it's, uh, some of this is also continuing to set the scene in the shop as we're sitting at a table that has uh, pieces of bookboard that will eventually be combined with some astroturf to form a box that would unfold into a uh, green strip that would have three books propped up inside of it. So SCAP is able to produce these really amazing different book structures that I can only imagine uh, give the students a lot of inspiration as to where they can go with book arts. Um, but how would you really describe what you're working on with SCAP in terms of objects and how you're handling the book form as opposed to some of the like pamphlets that you're producing for, for Oyster Boat? Or how would you describe a book work to a listener who cannot physically maneuver an artist's book? Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question in thinking about. Um, one of our goals at SCAP is to create a different project every time that we make something. And so our artist books um, really range both in um, structure and content. If we bring in a different artist, every time it's going to be a very different thing. And um, one of the books that is a great example to think about the range of materials is a project called Lining. And um, it is about the material that is next to your skin the lining in your clothing and that relationship that you have, that tactile relationship that you have between material and yourself, um, you the material and your body. Um, and that book consists of a wooden box with a living hinge. A living hinge is when you can, you cut into the wood with a laser cutter and then it folds. So it's a flat piece of wood that folds. And in, so it, you open that box and inside that box is lined with rabbit fur. Um, we all can picture what rabbit fur would feel like. Um, we're really thinking about that tactile relationship with the book. 
Um, and then the pages are held together with a three ring binder and you can open it up and pull them out. They fold out into an accordion kind of fold uh, and in, on one side is printing of an image of rabbit fur and then inside they're lined with different kinds of fabric. So we see on the one side there's also text that relates to the fabric but you have this very tactile relationship throughout that entire book thinking about paper, fabric, fur, anything that you would have right next to, right next to your body. Um, and then the second iteration that we're working on, that was one edition that is in collections that may be near some of the, your listeners all over the country. Um, we invited that artist that we collaborated with, Lee Running. Lee Running and I worked on that project together. And that since that book sold out, we invited her back to do another one. I tell all my artists that if their, if their edition sells out and we don't have any more available, then we must invite them back for another edition. And the only one that we've complete, it's a good rule because everybody has, our artists have a wonderful time working with us and ask yeah. us, well, I have another idea. And I'm like, well, you gotta sell your book, you gotta sell first. Your book out first. <laughs> And all the proceeds from our books go back into the project, so it seems also appropriate that if someone's book sells out, there is funding there that we can invite them back to do another project. So the next project that we're doing with, uh, that I'm working on with Lee Running, is about the embellishment on clothing. So that book takes um, rubbings from clothing that have been transferred, printed onto pages of a book, and we're really thinking about um, the visual texture. So instead of actually touching it, we think about looking at it with our eyes. The way the book is structured, there's handles for your hands. So your hands are busy opening the book and it has um, an accordion kind of structure that opens as you open the book. And instead of turning the pages, you actually have to move your body around the book to see it. So we're constantly thinking about structure and how it relates to the content, but also very different ways of what a book can do and be. Um, some of our books, people could think about being as much sculptural as books. Um, I like to talk to my students about what a book is, and I have a few rules, which I always, I still break, but one of the things that I think about is that it has to have some kind of pages and some kind of binding. Now, what that is can be really, really broad. So if you think about um, one of our projects, uh, Vuv, that we did with Judy Russian and a whole other group of artists, um, they're letterpress printed onto blocks that have magnets, but then are can be rearranged. And they're all enclosed inside of a box with a giant um, rubber band. So we think of those blocks as being the pages, and then the box and the rubber band as the binding. Um, you had spoken about the idea that you will work with an artist once again after they sell out of their, their edition. Um, how do you think of distribution between the various projects that you're working on here in SCAP? Well, the, traditionally in the past 10 years, the, re, the books that we have done, the ones that take the longer period of time, have been distributed through, um, we have an artist bookseller, Vamp and Tramp, and they take them around to collections and sell them at at libraries, mostly educational institutions, uh, museums have some of our books, some private collections. 
Um, we go to book fairs, but the price point on those is very different than um, than what Oyster Boat is. And Oyster Boat is a um, project that we are distributing over our website. Yeah. So it is at a much lower price point. We want it to be in a broader range of places. We want it to be on people's bookshelves, um, on their desk, have it not be so precious that it has to be in a special collection somewhere and you have to go sign in to look at it and yeah. touch it. Um, but it may be something that you pull out when you want to be inspired by something or show a friend an idea or, um, but it lives with the owner on their bookshelf, on their desk. Um, and we're distributing those only through the website in a way that anyone, anywhere would have access to it at the same time, rather than it being um, regional or you'd have to come here to buy it. And there's, you know, the internet has made that exciting possibility of distribution possible. Yeah. We also have videos of it online. So even if people can't buy it, they can experience it in the same way. Assume, not the same way, I guess, <laughs> but in some way, yeah, I should say. In, in a way, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so one thing that I, that I also really wanted to ask you is uh, how do you see SCAP and Oyster Boat and the teaching that you're doing here at FSU, where does all this sit within your, within your practice? Um, are you also producing your own books uh, here at SCAP that are not in collaboration with other artists? So I do a lot of times work on my own books. Um, I don't work on them as much if I didn't have, if I didn't collaborate with SCAP, but I also work on other collaborations too outside of SCAP. Um, I'm part of a group called Shift Lab, and it's a group of five uh, women book artists that we came together to make projects and to think about what it is to make books and, um, make books together across the country. Um, initially, when we started, one of the artists was in, Sarah Bryant, was in the UK, um, Macy Chadwick. You, Sarah Bryant's now in Alabama, but Macy Chadwick was in, is in California. Katie Baldwin is also in Alabama. And then Trisha Tracy's in North Carolina. And we were interested in creating our own community of artists. Um, some that we would come together and talk about projects over Skype and try to figure out how we work together when we're in disparate locations. We usually get together about once a year, sometimes twice a year if we're lucky, um, and work on projects. We just finished a project that we're really excited about that's called REF, and it is about the reference section and the changing physicality of the reference section, um, the different ways that we interact with the reference section, um, so we just presented that at Codex in oh, February. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair that I've never been able to get to, but I really want to go to. It's one that you would really enjoy. It's something that, um, it's great to go and show your work there, but I also think it's amazing to go and just look around and not have, be tied to a table where you have to stand and show your work, but to walk around and see the work that people are doing. And I think a lot of book artists produce work specifically on that, every two years time frame so that they have new work at Codex. So sometimes you see work that has just been finished, possibly just maybe just a few minutes before they came. That sounds a lot like my zine fairs. Yes, a lot.
Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe uh, the next codex with with uh, my oyster boat. I can hang out at the table with you. I can keep you company. We would love that. I always <laughs> welcome company at my table. More people to talk about books. Um, that would be a great idea. Um, so what what got you into books? Why why are you interested in this form? Um, I actually I not really sure. I started out. Um, in school as a geologist, and I'd always made things, and I realized that I also wanted to take art classes, but I never intended to be an artist. But I took art classes because I really liked it. And um, some of the classes that I took at Northwestern were very traditional drawing, painting kind of yeah. classes, but I also took a class with um, an art critic, James Yud, and he introduced us to a lot of parts of the contemporary art world in Chicago. Um, and one of his classes, I took two of his classes. One class, for some reason, I had already done the project or written the paper, and he said, it would have been a duplicate paper. He said, well, pick something that you're interested in. And I, I had been thinking about photo books and artist books in my photography class. I said, well, I'm interested in this. And he sent me to um, see if an artist book exhibited at the Chicago Cultural Center. And from then, I just kind of paid attention to artist books. I didn't know very much about artist books. But as I went through um, school, both undergrad and grad, it was always something that was present. I liked working on paper. Yeah. And um, I think that's how I did not become a painter, because I didn't really like painting on canvas. I liked paper. So probably it's paper that got me into making artist books. But I made, I made prints and artist books both at the same time. But my prints also are generally in series. So it seemed only reasonable that artist books would fit into that practice. Um, I don't have an MFA in book arts. I have an MFA in printmaking. Sometimes we see book arts in printmaking, and sometimes yeah. we don't. Um, my advisor, um, Ed Bernstein, was very interested in artist books. Um, and we did an artist book class in Venice, and I think um, that was part of it. But it just kind of, it always was present. This is a little more of like a, a teaching and academia question, but how do you feel about a relationship between uh, printmaking and book arts within a department? Like, the, I, I do agree that they are really linked, and you can see them very frequently together, but is it do you think it's necessary for them to be together, or are you interested in them being kind of two separate programs? I mean, that's a really good question. Here at FSU, they're together because I start. I was hired here to teach printmaking, and then added the book arts classes yeah. um, because of Small Craft Advisory Press. And I think that book arts can exist in a lot of places. And book book arts isn't just a printmaking kind of. It can be, you can find it in graphic design, you can find it in, you find it sometimes in library schools. I think one of the things about it being with printmaking is, um, for me, is that those are the two places that I am interested in. So having both of them together here makes sense to me. But as long as students know that it may be available at their university, like if it's not available in your art department, maybe look for it in the library school or look for it in, sometimes there's presses in the English department. Sometimes there's um, 
presses in graphic design, and sometimes that's part of the art department, sometimes it's not. So um, in my mind, I'm not sure I have a strong opinion about it being one way or the other. It's here because um, that's what my interests are. Yeah, and I guess part of that question is because I can see uh, at myself as a junior faculty member at George Mason, um, seeing what you've built up here and having a really similar interest in the book arts being uh, a strong focus in my program, but also being really excited about it as uh, kind of a central point of a Venn diagram that can have printmaking and graphic design and photography and interact with like the English department. So I guess that it can open up those possibilities, but I, I do agree they don't necessarily have to be Right. Connected to the to printmaking is just for you and I. That's who we are. Right, right. And we also have classes in um, my colleague John Mann. He teaches a photo book class. So we have these classes. It's called a we have focus areas. So we actually have an artist book, photographic book focus area that we encourage students to think. It's a minor difference. It's not a minor difference in to some people, but. Um, to our students, it's interesting for them to think about the book probably fr more from the photographic book perspe perspective and then the artist book perspective, that they are very um, different um, fields. A student may not see much of the difference, but they do tend to be exhibited in very different places or a very different following. Photo book is a much bigger kind of community than the artist book community. Yeah, so having... They're very different, but um, it's good for them to see that from, so I know more about artist books and John Mann really knows more about photo books, and so having them un be able to investigate both of those things and figure out where they want to be is important to us. Yeah. Um, both printmaking and book arts are, are such a collaborative process, and it's really nice to see how you've built collaboration into your, into your personal work and built up a personal work around uh, collaboration. But what does it really mean to you to be working with someone? Or why is that interesting to you? I always learn new things from people. And I think that that is probably the most exciting. And it makes, when you work with other people, it makes you think about what you're interested in in a different way. So I'm still the same person when I come to a collaboration, but I never am going to make the exact same work as someone else. So um, in looking for a collaborator, I just want to work with people who are interesting and interesting to be around and have interesting ideas. Yeah. And in, if you can find those things, then generally you have good collaboration. You also have to find somebody who, I heard you, you mentioned um, something like this to my class the other day about saying yes. Um, I think I've heard this about um, improvisation, yeah. that you always say yes and you go with it. I mean, of course, there's these moments that you have to be like, that's later on down the line, you're like, that's not practical. But in general, um, being open and willing and say yes to ideas is really what I look for in a collaborator. Yeah, like that ability to at least take on the, the responsibility to try something right. and uh, uh, be willing to workshop it and come up with ideas. Like editing can happen later. Right, right. And there are certain, there are more, per, there are some personalities that can't, some artists that can't think that way. 
but there are a lot of them that can and that are exciting to work with. Your students must get a really big kick out of seeing the artists that you're working with. Or do the artists you bring in to SCAP, do they interact with the students in the book arts courses? Yeah, in, in general, I have them interact in some way. Some, uh, sometimes, like what you did, is the kind of some of the best way to interact with them, or sit and have a conversation and talk about your work. Um, and then what um, you're doing is you're participating in one of the Oyster Boat editions. Um, so they are there's an opportunity for them to collaborate with you. It's one of the best opportunities. In other cases, um, I have them come up and see what we're working on, just witness in a lot of ways how collaboration can work. And a lot of times, um, some of the best things that they see are when we make mistakes or when things aren't working well and they can they see how we work through something. I actually, um, my interns were here on the project with Lee running and lining and I had printed something upside down. <laughs> and we realized this at the moment that they were standing right there and it, we were worried about this. Lee was a little upset and I was like, well... So, but we looked and we kind of figured out how we were going to work through the project. It actually ended up being just fine because something folded out a different way, which was more, it actually worked out to be better than the way that we had planned. But to have them see real um, issues arise in a project, that it's not all perfect all the way through and that you have to figure things out along the way and I think some of that is some of the most exciting for them they left and I was like I'm so sorry and they, they said no that was great and I was like <laughs> oh good I'm glad that you enjoyed it <laughs> yeah that idea of, of problem solving mm-hmm. having to kind of force invention is always incredibly interesting mm-hmm. but I, I'm also curious since some of the projects or the projects you're working on on SCAP uh, run on a two or three year timeline which with book arts, you do need to be very meticulous with how you're measuring things out and in crafting things. Um, but where do you see the, the role of improvisation or how do you make room for improvisation in, in the collaborations that you're working on? That's a really good question. Um, we definitely don't have it all planned out, any of the projects all planned out from the beginning. Um, when I put together the team, we don't know what we're going to make. And so a lot of it is conversation. The project starts to develop. And usually we think of the book first, and then we start to think about the enclosure. Sometimes there's moments of um, improvisation at the press. Uh, we worked The project we're working on right now, Build Up, with Sean Morrissey and Sarah Schlapler, Um Sean came with a bunch of images, and we had a structure of a book, but we didn't have everything planned out. So a lot of it was composed on the press, which is a really great way to think about working. Um, So even though Sean designed all these images, as we were printing them, we all were trying to figure out where where they were going to be placed. Um, And that's a great way to print in person with our um, artists. So when our artists are here, we always think about what do we want to do with them? What do we need them to think about? is most productive in person. So if we have it all planned out, a print something, if we need to print something, we can do that after they leave. But the thing, so their visit is, I guess, the moment of that improvisation. Like figure out all, display and figure out what parts that we, that they can be part of that conversation and development of 
whatever it is. So it's a little different every time, but there's, I think that if a project is planned out completely from beginning to end, that you start to lose the um, interest in a project. So yeah. there's always pieces that we still have to figure out. And again, with this like longer um, engagement with the work, how are you um, keeping to a schedule or how are you keeping your interest in these objects sustained over the course of two or three years? That's a good question. Um, our schedule, I guess, is driven a lot by Codex. I think we try to finish project products uh, projects for Codex. Yeah. Um, but other than that, a project takes kind of as long as it's going to take. Um, and in general, I think that we pick projects that we're interested in, so I've never lost interest on a project. Yeah. I think to, in, the, in the scheme of the art world, two or three years isn't really a long time to work on a project, and every project is so different. We use a lot of different materials, or there's different processes. A lot of them have letterpress in, in them, but other things like there's dyeing fabric and cutting leather and astroturf yeah. and, um, you know, this dealing with materials and, and figuring things out and the problem solving, I think is a lot what keeps us excited and interested along the way. And, you know, we always want to see that end product, um, that finished piece. And then the excitement of getting them out into the world, I think is what helps us finish additioning them. If we're excited about a project, we want other people to experience. And I think that's one of the big things about making additions is, that it can be in a lot of places at the same time. So that helps drive the finishing of the project that at the end, it may just be, now we need to make 20 boxes. Yeah. Um, but if we make those 20 boxes, they'll live in 20 different places. I'd have to say that one of the reasons I would love to come to Codex with you is to watch people pick up the Lee running book mm -hmm. and to put their hands in the, in the handles and kind of accordion fold out the, the fabric. Mm -hmm. That seems like such a fun object to watch people interact with and to be surprised by. It is. One of the best moments is when they put their hand into the handle and lift up and the whole, it, the book is purple. The purple insides open up. Um, and there's a few images of that on our Instagram page yeah. of people interacting with the book. Some librarians and... Before. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. And it is really fun to watch their eyes when they do that um, and watch it open up. That's kind of like the book art's magic to me as well, is uh, the idea that you have this piece of work that is objectified and people can move through it and physically interact with it in ways that they can't uh, other objects or other, other art objects. I think of the artist book as the one thing in the art world that well, there's some things you're allowed to touch, but you are intended to touch an artist book. Yeah. There is no question. It is it has pages and you should move through them. Yeah. Um, and there's something really amazing about that medium and the fact that you are supposed to physically interact with the book. And that's one of the things that I really love about artist books. Yeah, it really changes the way that you can conceptualize what you're working on and that, you know, changes your intent with it. Mm -hmm. And it also has to stand up to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I talk about that a lot with my students. People are going to touch it. You're intended to touch it. So yeah. make sure that they can. Yeah, you have to be really careful with how delicate you're making things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, we didn't yet talk about how SCAP got its name. Oh. And you and I spoke about it before, I, or I heard you talk about it. But where does the Small Craft Advisory Press come from? 
So a lot of times people name their press about a location or something that they're interested in. Um, here, we're, I wanted to name it something about the location. We're here in the, along the Gulf Coast in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and when I moved here, I noticed a lot of the, the landscape, a lot of things about the specific region. I didn't want to name it specifically about Florida State, um, the university. It has its branding. Um, but it needed a little something different. So I wanted to name about the um, the location. And every morning when I drove into school, I heard on the radio the weather report and um, the coastal weather report. And one of the warnings that came up often is the small craft advisory. We're right along the coast. There's a lot of small boats. And there would be a small craft advisory. And... Um, this stuck in my mind. And so when I, it took me a while to name the press, but when it came to it, that was the name that, that stayed Small Craft Advisory Press. A little bit of play on words. Yeah, really um, yeah. and the boating imagery really connects back to um, our region and then also inspired the name for Oyster Boat because yeah. Oyster Boat is a small craft. So uh, it all connects back to uh, the Gulf Coast. Yeah, I, I really love that. And the idea that they can also grow in terms of projects and other small crafts that you can really be uh, building up in the future. Um, before I let you go, what are some things you're excited about coming up in the future? Um, we have a couple of artists coming up the next year. We have Matt Little coming in the fall. He's gonna be working on some kind of 3D form, folded, I'm not totally sure. And so we're in the middle of composing the team to work with him. Um, he's an artist from North Carolina, a book artist. And Nora Pujols, she's coming sometime next spring. She works a lot with California plants. Um, so we're really excited to bring her here to think about the Florida plants. Um, and again, I, well, I just invited her, so we're still figuring out the details of both of those teams who they'll be working with. Um, and we're also very excited about continuing Oyster Boat. We have the first artist committed for um, vo volume two, which is you. Um, and then we are working on getting the rest of our artists um, to send their fragments for the rest of that edition. So we're looking forward to see um, the distribution of Oyster Boat, the more artists that can participate in that, and our future projects, and completing the ones that are still in the works. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Denise, again, thank you for taking the time to talk with me and for opening up this, this shop. It's been uh, truly inspiring to see the work that you're doing and also to spend time with you as an educator and to see the, en the energy that you're bringing to the classroom and talk to your students. Um, so it's been all around uh, inspiring for me. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's been really amazing having you here. We're really lucky to have you. And my students had such a great time with you this week. And they're really looking forward to your talk this afternoon, too, or this evening. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Oyster Boat. We are, too. I wish you could be a fly on the wall for that conversation, yeah. but that's not how it works. We I hand know. over the fragment, and then, yeah. In a couple of months, we'll surprise you.